Hailing from the heartland of America, atop the high bluffs of Western Iowa, comes the voice of the church. God himself blew on history so that there would be a light. A timely message, convicting words, burning with passion for righteousness and justice again. Why don't you believe in something this morning? Why don't you believe in a church? Why don't you believe in the glory of dominion that God gave us the power to build a building on a hill that stands for something in the community, that we're not afraid to stand up for what we believe in and tell the lawmakers and the rulers in this nation and every other nation in the world, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He's coming back and you better repent of your sins or you're gonna answer for them. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth not shall be damned. So what do you really believe? People that believe in Jesus Christ, that He was buried, that He was resurrected on the third day, that He's coming again, and that men will answer for every idle word and every wrong deed, that there is justice beyond the grave. That is the statement that is made when you see a church and a steeple and a cross in a community and in a nation. And God cares about this building and He cares about the churches that sprinkle the landscape of this nation. And He wants them to be filled with people that have some passion, that understand what it means to be a Christian, that aren't slobs drooling with all of their candy and their chocolate and their soda and their entertainment, wanting to hear a preacher to tell them that they're just fine the way that they are and they don't need to change and they don't need to worry about repentance. They don't need to get the sin out of their life. Those are not good preachers. And those are not legitimate churches and their buildings become an aggravation and a mocking point. And if you go to Europe today, you'll see cathedral after cathedral that were beautiful and they're empty. And if we don't get right in this nation, that's going to happen. Look around you at the sloth. Look at the empty pews. Look at the big gaps. They didn't want to hear the truth. Believe in something today. Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the sermon. We have a movement unlike in uh, South Korea or China where home churches are legitimate as much as in the book of Acts during great times of persecution when driven underground. In America, we have home church for a completely different reason. It is that we resent any verse that uses the word submit or hold yourself in subjection to other humans. It is because the American church hasn't learned the very first lesson that Saul of Tarsus had to learn before he could be of any use to God, before he could write one good sacred thing that could be used in a New Testament. And what lesson was that? This man, this Pharisee, Pharisee of Pharisees, student of Gamaliel, very influential. What did he have to learn? Well, he was confronted by the Lord Jesus, knocked off of his donkey, struck blind, where he couldn't see for several days. It was a manifestation of the law of sowing and reaping. Saul of Tarsus needed to understand that he was spiritually blind. And in order for him to get the realization of just how pathetic he really was, his physical eyes had to be shut off for a temporary season. 
So the Lord Jesus confronts Saul of Tarsus, murdering Christians, thinking in his spiritual blindness, in his state of mind, not understanding that he was wrong, blind, that he was doing the right thing when in fact he was doing the wrong thing. And Jesus confronts him, knocks him off of his donkey, strikes him blind. And you got to think about this. Saul is right there with Jesus. And Saul asks a simple question. We all know Jesus knew the answer to the question. He could have easily, efficiently answered the question in less than 30 seconds. But Saul needed to learn something that the American church doesn't want to learn. Listen carefully. Maybe some of you need to learn it. I know lots of people need to learn this lesson. Try to put yourself in that position. The resurrected son of God is standing near you. The brightness of his glory has damaged your physical eyes. If you went out right now, if the sun were to actually come out and you stared at the sun long enough, it would do something to your physical eyes, it would hurt you. So the light coming from the resurrected Christ is perhaps infinitely brighter in a physical sense than the sun on a bright day. And Saul of Tarsus looks at that light and it sears his eyes and demonstrates to him in a very noticeable way just how blind he was even though his eyes were working previously. And there's this conversation going on. Saul talks to Jesus, Jesus talks back. But then he asks a simple question. He says, what would you have me to do? And you know, Jesus wouldn't answer him didn't give him an answer. You know what he said? You need to go to the house of this man that lives in this particular city at a particular address and you ask him what I want you to do and he will tell you. Now this is the lesson at the beginning you're supposed to learn when you come into the family of Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. It's the first lesson you're supposed to learn and that is Jesus expects you to take instruction and submit yourself with humility to other flawed human beings. And if you won't learn that lesson, you're unfit for the kingdom. Yeah, I'm standing right here, Saul. You've been causing me trouble. You've been hurting my people. How difficult is it to kick against the pricks? You thought you were kicking them, you're kicking me. What do you want me to do? I'll tell you what I want you to do. You go ask that man. And he will tell you what I want you to do because you're going to have to learn to submit to delegated authority. And so in a persecuted era, the book of Acts and other places, we see not God's best, not his perfect desire, not his perfect will, which is to have already established in the Old Testament a temple, a place that is sacred, that is set apart where we come together on this every seven-day cycle to worship God in the building in the facility the church is the body of Christ but the building is sacred it is the temple it is the place where we come together and that is what God has always wanted and I'll tell you something about a physical building right now if you can just imagine in Iraq and this is really on my heart heavy I can't shake this this is going on unfathomable evil so vile it is worse than any nightmare that has ever been put in a Hollywood picture, and these people are facing it. I mean, I, I'm, I hesitate to even describe what has been happening because it's so gruesome and sick. 
And I want you to know very, very bluntly, Islam is an abomination. It is a way to hell. It is a false religion that teaches people lies, that denies the divinity of Jesus Christ. And anyone who says otherwise is a liar. Let the word of God be true and every man a liar. It is an abomination what is being done in the name of Allah in this world. Sick and twisted. Shame upon them all in heaps. And if you want to know that it's important that a building serve as a church, you need to understand that it is by the design of God since creation, when you put the property instinct, you've been taught about that. If you haven't heard me teach about it, I'm sorry, I won't have time. But he said, take possession, have dominion. Creative power came out of God's mouth in the creation story in Genesis. And he created the desire for man to possess, to take care of, and to own stuff, property. And that was God's design. It's a good design. It's a good plan. Well, you want to own things. You want to because God designed you to want to own things. And so there is something about dominion that in a nation, consider Iraq, that has been hostile because of a reckless abandonment of our duty as American soldiers, because of our commander-in-chief, reckless abandonment of those people. Stick your neck out for us, show us where the bad guys are, and then then we're going to leave you so that they can all come and get revenge. That's what we did. The way that our troops were withdrawn from this mess. Now you could argue, should we have been there in the first place? And that's a, that's a different argument because you can't go back and undo what's done. We went there. We should not have left the way that we did. Leaving the way that we did has caused the deaths of tens of thousands of innocent people. It is, it is almost unforgivable what we've done to the church of Iraq by leaving recklessly and too quickly. It's wrong. And I know God is not very happy right now with this nation because of what we are responsible for creating in the way of the slaughter of innocent Christians in Iraq. We are going to be held account by the Lord God himself for what we have done in this nation. I'm deeply disturbed by that. I'm horrified at what's happening to children and to parents who've loved Jesus. But let's just say, what would it mean in that scenario in that culture, if suddenly the Coptic church, an ancient church that has been there for 2,000 years, by the way, in Iraq no less, were to successfully build a glorious temple, a building, a church facility like what we have right there in the heart of Islam, what would that mean? I'll tell you what it would mean. It would mean that Christendom is taking dominion again. And there is something very important to God And there is something that should be very important to you about this building. Because it is a statement of Christendom. It is a statement that a church is here. People that believe in Jesus Christ, that he was buried, that he was resurrected on the third day, that he's coming again, and that men will answer for every idle word and every wrong deed, that there is justice beyond the grave. That is the statement that is made when you see a church and a steeple and a cross in a community and in a nation. And God cares about this building, and he cares about the churches that sprinkle the landscape of this nation. 
And he wants them to be filled with people that have some passion, that understand what it means to be a Christian, that aren't slobs drooling with all of their candy and their chocolate and their soda and their entertainment wanting to hear a preacher to tell them that they're just fine the way that they are and they don't need to change and they don't need to worry about repentance. They don't need to get the sin out of their life. Those are not good preachers. And those are not legitimate churches. And their buildings become an aggravation and a mocking point. And if you go to Europe today, you'll see cathedral after cathedral that were beautiful. They were built beautifully. The architecture was magnificent. They were built to glorify God and to honor him with stained glass and, and beautiful carved things. And they're awesome structures that were built by a different generation a long time ago that really believed in something, that really knew Jesus, that really wanted to save the lost. And they're empty. And if we don't get right in this nation, that's going to happen. Look around you at the sloth. Look at the empty pews. Look at the big gaps. They didn't want to hear the truth, so they went somewhere else or they didn't go anywhere at all. 14% of this country attends church. Shame on us. God himself blew on history so that there would be a light and the light is growing dim at best. This building means something. It means something because of what is done inside it. It means something because of the people that sit in it in a seven-day cycle faithfully because they believe in something and they stand for something and they live for something and they die for something. We buried Julie Strom a few days ago. She believed in something. And she proved it by how she lived. And she did not have a bed of roses. You realize she lived in a house full of unbelief. She's the only light in the whole family. And she was faithful. She didn't use it as an excuse to not get involved. She didn't use her, her bad family situation as an excuse to not put her hand to something and work in the kingdom and bring other people's children into the house of God. She didn't use it as an excuse to not be a tither and to not give to the church. You know, she's one of the most faithful givers in this building. And she didn't have much. She didn't have much. She wasn't rich. She lived in a tiny house. She gave because she believed in something. Why don't you believe in something this morning? Why don't you believe in a church? Why don't you believe in the glory of dominion that God gave us the power to build a building on a hill that stands for something in the community, that we're not afraid to stand up for what we believe in and tell the lawmakers and the rulers in this nation and every other nation in the world, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he's coming back and you better repent of your sins or you're going to answer for them. Believe in something today. The building is important. And so are you. Why is it that we want grace? Because we're saved by it. Because without it, you go to hell. You have to have grace. You're saved from judgment because of this thing called grace. And you're born again into a new life because of this thing called grace. 
You're listening to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Don't miss the conclusion of this sermon after these messages. Our country is no longer in need of a great awakening. America is in need desperately of a resurrection. And there's a difference between a resurrection and a great awakening. In far too many American churches, the Great Commission has been reduced. The emphasis is on really getting people ready to die. But the church is not here to get people prepared to die so much as we're here to equip people and how to truly live. I've written a new book that talks about this. It's called A Storm, A Message, A Bottle. You can get a copy of the book at beyondthewallsradio.com. God bless you. Welcome back to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. If I could talk about you being born the first time, you're born the first time and you have life for a few minutes unless you don't get fed, unless your parents abandon you. Now there are some animals, there are some fish, there's some you know, maybe raccoons, I don't know. There, there's some baby animals out there that they can be born and maybe not get taken care of so well and they'll, they'll rough it out and they'll make it, they'll survive. Not so with a human, not so with the, on purpose, on purpose, not so. I remember as a child watching a horse be born, a colt. And the colt is born and what does it do? It stands up and runs. And I thought, that's not fair because we're born and we're dragging around for like a year. Human beings, how come the cold just jumps up? Boom, there they go. We're drooling, dragging our legs. You know, some of those kids, they crawl weird. They go backwards like a crab. They scoot backwards. And human beings, none of us come out and go, we don't, we don't tap dance, we don't run, we don't stand up. And as a child, it bothered me. How come God seems to have given animals this ability and, and yet not us? And you know, nature teaches you some things. A human being cannot survive without other human beings helping them. Hello, there's a message there. And when you're born again, you won't survive unless other people left and right flanking you feed you. So it's one thing to get born, the, you know, to get born, but you need milk. Somebody's got to keep you going. So I'm saying that for a reason because the grace that birthed you into the kingdom of God is the food that keeps you alive. You know, newborn babies in the natural need to eat, what, every three hours? Some babies think they need to eat every 10 minutes. It's terrible. No sleep for months. Mm. I had one of those few of them. It was very difficult for me. She kept getting up, waking me up. (laughs) You can't survive this world without the nutrition for your spirit that comes by the grace of God in regular intervals of feeding. And that's why we come to this place 
That's what the point of a gathering of public people is. That's why we have a space for all the body to come together as a family every seven-day period. And this was in the heart of God since the very beginning in Genesis, and I've showed you that. You need more grace. You can't just run on uh, grace you got from God a year ago. You need grace now. You need grace next week. You need a continual flow of grace in your life to sustain you. It's the grace that got you born again, but it's also the grace that keeps you thriving. And so the building is important. It is a statement of dominion, but it's a place where we come. And unlike any other gathering space, you go to the grocery store, it doesn't work this way. You could go down to, you know, some, some auditorium for the Shriners. Doesn't happen there. It's not the church. But when you come in this place, there is an anointing upon this place. There is grace flowing in a unique way, only promised by the Bible to believers in a church setting. And this is why it's so important for Iraqi Christians and for other Christians that have been driven into secret churches and in basements and in hovels to keep their eyes focused on the goal that someday by the power of Jesus Christ, someday by the power of evangelism, as the law is the schoolmaster bringing unsaved heathen to Christ, someday in these nations, there will be once again beautiful churches built, standing up on a hill with a steeple or a cross, making a statement to the nation that people live here that believe in Jesus. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 4. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein too, and they to whom it was first preached entered not therein for unbelief's sake. There are people right now that will not enter into the rest of the honorable attitude of Sabbath. The word Sabbath doesn't mean Saturday, it means rest, rest. It's a principle enshrined in nature, in creation itself. God himself rested on the seventh day. And we know that there's a cycle every seven days when we should come together. And the Jews, the cycle was on Saturday. And then when the church was born in the scriptures, they went to the first day of the week because it was the day that Jesus was resurrected on. But the principle didn't change. It's still God's day. Today's God's day. Okay? If we have church on Sunday, be sure that you're faithful every Sunday because God gets one day out of the seven. That's the rule. And arguing about which day it ought to be, I don't think is as important as the attitude of God is getting a day because I need grace and I need the body of Christ and I need to come and be repaired. It's the repairing of the saints. Ephesians chapter 4. The church is for the repairing of the saints because we're in battle. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein too, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in therein because of unbelief's sake. There are people, it doesn't matter what you say, they don't believe it. If you don't believe in grace, guess what? You won't get any. If you don't believe in grace, you don't think this building's special, you don't think the people sitting here, that's, that God's doing something beautiful with something invisible called grace, that it's flowing sideways in the room and it's repairing you even while you just sit there, you don't believe it, it's not working for you because it's all about faith. You have to believe God demands it. Why? Why? Well, because in the Garden of Eden, what's faith? Faith is believing what you hear. Why is God so, why is he so insistent that you believe what you hear? Well, there's a reason. 
Why is it that Thomas came back and the disciples were saying, the Lord is, he's alive again. We saw him. And what does Thomas say? I'll believe it when I see it. And then Jesus heard him. So later Jesus shows up and he knows what Thomas said. And he said, you want to put your finger in the holes? Do you need to put your finger in the hole in my feet, Thomas? Then Jesus says this, he's saying it to you. Blessed are those that believe when they haven't seen. I'll tell you why in the book of Genesis. It all goes back to Genesis, all these patterns, all these patterns. What caused all the sin and all the corruption in the whole world? How did it all start? And Eve looked upon the fruit and she saw that it was beautiful. The lust of the eyes is where it all started to come apart. And you don't realize this because maybe it's not taught very often, but you realize when God made Adam and Eve, they could see everything. They could see God. They could see angels. They could see all of whatever comprises the spirit dimension, the spirit world. They could see it in their physical eyes. These eyes, they could see everything. There, there's obviously, we've been blinded, right? And it's because of what they did. And if you watch carefully, the whole sin that unraveled, it says right there that they walked with God in the cool of the day having conversations. We assume then they saw him. You know, you'd bump into each other if you're walking with someone and you can't see who you're walking with. So we know they could see, they could see everything. So it was the lust of the eyes where everything started to come unraveled. And then what happened right after they sinned? Because of their eyes, because of what they looked at. And God had told them, don't do this. They didn't listen. They didn't listen. She went on what she saw instead of what God said. And Father God is a good parent and he knows how to get a point across, right? She could see everything and she could hear really good but she chose to go on what she saw and not go on what she heard. Are you following me? So Satan, the tempter, enters into the serpent. If you look carefully, that it, the serpent could fly. Whatever the serpent was, it was beautiful. It was breathtakingly beautiful. It had wings and it was glorious. It wasn't cursed to fall on the ground and eat dirt until after this happened. So before it happened, snakes didn't look like snakes do now right? Everything looked different. It was a wonderland of a place, right? So Satan comes along. He says, did God really say such and so? Talking about her hearing to get her to dismiss what she heard and only go on what she saw. And then he said to her, the truth is, if you disobey and if you eat the forbidden fruit, you'll be able to see things that you can't see right now. He lied. He tricked them. So Eve is thinking, oh, better vision? My sight will improve if I do this, right? He sold it to her. You'll be able to see and understand sin. And right now you, you can't see that. You don't understand it because you haven't seen it. So he, he gets her tempted by her eyes. And then he tells her, if you do what I say, your eyes are going to get even better. And then she sinned. What did they do right after they sinned? They hid because they, listen, they did not want to see God. So Father, Abba Father steps onto the scene and says, all right, we got an issue with not listening and going only on what you see. 
Fast forward several thousand years, Jesus to Thomas. Blessed are those that believe when they have not seen. Eden was speaking. The voice of God in Eden spoke to Thomas. This has been Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. God himself blew on his tree so that there would be a light. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Extra Ecclesium Nulla Salus. There is no salvation outside of the church. Thank you for tuning in. 